Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Michael Berry, and welcome to our podcast. This commercial-free audio is made possible by top tax defenders. Great folks who also sponsor and support our show. If you need help with the IRS, start at toptaxdefenders.com. It's that time. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. Well, today is the 14th day of the third month, which makes this 314 celebrated by science and math geeks every year as National Pi Day, as in PI, as in pinpointed by Archimedes of Syracuse, and they didn't even make the big dance. The rest of us celebrate it as National Pi Day, a homophone. Homophone, Ramon. That's two words that sound the same, but have different meanings and spellings, like R-E-D. No, Freddie Mercury is not a homophone. That's not my whole point. Like red, R-E-A-D, and R-E-D. Ramon, this is the educational component. I'm going to need you to sit quietly. You can ding, okay? It's also Albert Einstein's birthday, born in Ulm, Germany, in 1879. Ramon, quickly, how old does that make Albert Einstein? He was born in 1812? That's not even close. 112? On National Pi Day, you can't subtract You can't subtract 1879 from 2017? Come on now. Were the, were the Santa Fe schools that bad? Come on. I'm give, I give up. Physicist Albert Einstein, born on this day. Let's see, 3,700, 3,738. 138 years ago today, also on this day in 1794, Eli Whitney received a patent for his cotton gin, an invention that revolutionized America's cotton industry. It is National Pie Day because, as some of you remember from your schooling back in the day, what pie actually stands for, pie, a letter in the Greek alphabet, Pi is, of course, a measurement that represents the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter, commonly approximated as 3.14. But you can go on for a while, 3.14159, and some of you may have remembered it. Our chief engineer can take it out to 10 numbers. In fact, it goes on into infinity. Pi cannot be represented exactly as a fraction, the way 1 over 2 could, or 3 over 9, which makes pi a certain type of number. 
and I will give you nerds or well-studied uh, chaps in the office or in the car an opportunity to scream out what type of number it is that it can never be accurately represented by a fraction, or at least not by a whole fraction. And that would be, Ramon, do you remember? We discussed this five minutes ago, Ramon. An irrational number. It is an irrational number, meaning it cannot be represented by a fraction uh, perfectly, right? Ramona, are you paying attention? That's what I hate when I'm not there is that you might be taking a nap right in the middle of this discussion of pi, and I feel like this could be an opportunity for you to learn something. Am I right? Pi is even thought to have been mentioned in the Bible. 1 Kings 7.23, or as Trump would say, 1 Kings. And he made a molten sea ten cubits from the one brim to the other. It's round. <laughs> <clears throat> and as we look to 1 Kings 7.23, and he made a molten sea, ten cubits from the one brim to the other. It was round all about, and his height was five cubits, and a line, can I get an amen, and a line of 30 cubits did compass it round about. And all God's saints did say, amen. <laughs> Ten cubits from the one brim to the other, it was all—it was round all about, and his height was five cubits, and a line of 30 cubits did compass it round about. It is thought that this was uh, an approximation, or could be approximated as pi, 3.14. The original history of pi goes back to the Egyptians, the Great Pyramid of Giza or Giza, was built between 2550 and 2500 BC, and it is thought to have a uh, a ratio that would closely approximate pi. Egyptologists believe these proportions were chosen for symbolic reasons. Then, of course, we move to the Babylonians, and then to Archimedes of Syracuse, who is widely considered to have uh, to have pinpointed pi. To 3.14. They'd been at 3.16 before that. Then there's a Chinaman named Zhu Chongzi who used a similar method after the fact using polygons. There is the biblical reference and then Indians believe that it was Indian mathematician Madhavan who first discovered it along with a German mathematician named Gottfried Leibniz who rediscovered the series in the 17th century. And, in fact, my wife was taught that Indians discovered pi, but we've had that conversation, and hopefully I've disabused her. Later, in 1707, Welsh, Welsh mathematician William Jones was the first to use the Greek letter pi to denote the constant ratio. That wasn't for 30 more years, 1737. That Swiss mathematician and physicist Leonard Euler popularized the use of the symbol. I feel like a school teacher, Ramon, because I'm very interested in this, and I feel like you're probably taking a nap right about now. Am I right on that? See, that's not nice. It's National Pie Day. I mean, there was a pie mention in Twilight. The Simpsons had a pie mention. Pie is everywhere. Life of Pie. Did you see the movie Life of Pie, by the way? That's a good, good uh, um Oh, 
Both MIT and the Georgia Institute of Technology have cheers at their football game that include 3.14159. Now, see, that's just dumb. That's just trying to act smarter than everybody else. Am I right? Ramon, can you do me a favor? Can you ask, can you call uh, Flying Saucer Pies and see how many pies they think they'll sell today? I'm just curious. It is also, lest we forget, never forget, National, now I'm about to ask you a question. You better be ready, okay? It is also National Potato Chip Day. Ramon, you get to eat one tater chip before you die. What's it going to be? Sour cream and onion ruffles. A nice choice, Ramon. A nice choice indeed. I wouldn't... Cream and onions ruffles. Well, that put me in a good place. I hadn't seen that coming. Sour cream and onion ruffles. I'll tell you what. You know what doesn't get its due? What does not get its due is an old-fashioned sandwich. I mean, plain, doughy white bread on top of, and not too much. The deli's put too much. Some roast beef, some applewood cheddar. Some quality uh, mayonnaise. Ramon, you like yours cut into rectangles, or do you like it cut uh, triangulated, pie style? The Michael Berry Show. We buried the lead. It's also Steak and BJ Day, so you probably ought to probably ought to let them know early, because Mama might have to make a run to the butcher shop, fellas. You might might ought to give her time to plan. It's a big day. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if they still make Bartles and James. Remember, they'd have the two of them, and it was the two of them next to each other. And they'd do that goofy little, what were their names? Golly, see if you can find that commercial. See if you can find that commercial. That was one of the best commercials I will never forget. Mr. Gentry was our super, was our uh, <clears throat> principal. He went on to be the superintendent. And then he went on to be the superintendent at Vider. But he was our principal at the time. And the assistant principal was Mr. Donard. 
And Mr. Gentry and Mr. Donner did a skit of Bartles and James at our pep rally on a Friday before we were playing Newton, or Buna maybe, which was one of our big rivals. And it was the funniest thing ever. I remember, you know, especially when, like, your freshman year of high school, you you didn't, you know, you weren't trying to mess stuff up yet. You still had all this respect for your administrators, and you weren't trying to figure out how to get over on them. And I can remember, you know, when they would do something outside, you know, their normal of, you know, being stiff upper lip and, you know, being serious and everything like that. Oh, it would be the funniest thing ever. It would just be the funniest dang thing ever. All right. Well, we have an Obamacare update on the scoring. Oh, well, excuse me. How was I supposed to know? All right. Play it. Hello. Ed's advertising book says when we sponsor sports, our ads will be better if we talk the language of the fans. So I will try to do that. Run down to the store for a four-pack of Ed's new Bartles and James Premium Red Cooler. It is not only a big hit, but when you buy Bartles and James, you cannot make an error. Well, while I realize these technical terms may be confusing to people who don't know baseball, I hope this makes sense to the fans. Thank you for your support. <laughs> that wasn't the one I was thinking of, but it gets the point across. Although I don't know that there is a better shtick, and you tell me if there is, Ramon, than uh, uh, the Tom Bodette uh, Motel 6 commercials. They have they have held on to that thing for how many years? Distinctive voice, distinctive ad. You can turn it on and not even listen to the words, and it is at least reminding you of that uh, of that brand. Ramon, it has finally happened. Get clip number 23 ready, if you would, please. Americans now pay for more bottled water than they do sodas. Bottled water sales have been growing in the U.S. ever since the 1970s, and now a big milestone. According to industry tracker Beverage Marketing Corp., Bottled water consumption in the U.S. reached 39.3 gallons per capita. That's per person, Ramon. Last year, while carbonated drinks slipped to 38 and a half, Americans drink almost a full gallon more of bottled water than carbonated soft drinks. Soda still generated more revenue last year. Oh, sorry. Yeah, soda still generated more revenue last year. $39.5 billion in retail sales compared with $21.3 billion for water. 26% of water revenue in 2016 went to soda giants Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, which sell the top two brands, Dasani and Aquafina, respectively, and are now pushing higher-priced premium brands. Clip number 23, go. How did we get to the point where we're paying for bottled water? That must have been some weird marketing meeting over in France, you know? <laughs> some French guy was sitting there, he's like, how dumb do I think the Americans are? <laughs> I bet you we could sell those idiots water. <laughs> Someone's like, uh, Pierre, the Americans are pretty dumb, but they're not gonna buy water. <laughs> oh, yes, they are. <laughs> Let's just tell the Americans the water's from France. <laughs> we bought it. 
don't know if you're like me. When they first introduced bottled water, I thought it was so funny. I was like, bottled water? Because they're selling bottled water. <laughs> I guess I'll try it. <laughs> oh, this is good. This is more watery than water. This has got a water kick to it. I was looking. I was looking at a bottle. They have nutritional facts printed on the side. Kind of expect to turn the bottle, see a recipe. Yeah. Uh, that's how you make ice cubes, huh? One of those heart-wrenching stories that you wish a mother would never be put in this situation, but you're happy with the decision she made. A mother in Detroit sees surveillance video of a robbery released by the Popo. She recognizes her 10-year-old son is in it. Hoping to save him from a life of crime by putting him on the right track, she turns him in. Last week, the mother, who does not want to be identified, was told to watch surveillance video of a robbery released by the Popo because the person believed it was her son. She found the video. She says she was heartbroken because she knew it was her son. She says she began crying and praying. The video shows her son, another teen, her son's 12, mind you, and a 20-year-old man rob a 56-year-old disabled man who was eating at a fast food restaurant. The victim says the three asked him for some money, and he gave each of them a dollar, but they demanded more money. And when the victim went to retrieve more, more cash, that's when Popo say they tried to, to snatch his wallet. There was a brief struggle. After releasing the surveillance video, Detroit police investigators were also able to identify the teen and the 20-year-old who was with them. The mother says, I want him to learn a lesson from this. I want him to be able to put this behind him and let him know this is never going to happen again. I want him to learn a lesson. And so, Ramon, we open up the phone lines for a segment or so of that time when you as a parent or when your beloved parent knew that the right decision was to turn you in to someone else for something you had done so that you would suffer the awful consequences because you had violated the family code. You had not done what you were supposed to do. That difficult moment when your parent dragged you back we had some buddies who uh, busted up uh, mailboxes, and we would all go busting up mailboxes, but thank God I wasn't with them. And their parents had to bring them to, among others, our house and apologize to my parents. In any other given night, I would have been part of the group. Another group that slashed the tires of all the neighborhood cars, and their parents dragged them by the hide of their hair and made them face every family whose tires they had slashed. And then the parents paid for the tires, and then they made the kids work off with summer jobs the payment for those tires, which added up to be thousands of dollars. In fact, I saw one of the guys that did that, and he lives in Houston now, and we had a good laugh at what they went through back in those days. But I'll bet you have a story, either your parent or you as a parent. It's a lightning round. 713-212-5874. Well, something must be right. You're listening to Michael Berry.
road must have a code that you can live by and so become yourself because the past is just a goodbye teach your children well their father's hell did slowly go by and feed them on your dreams the one they picked the one you know by don't you ever ask them why if they told you you would cry so just look at them and sigh And know they love you And then Every head bowed, every eye closed you to think about in your own life your decision and I want you to think anew I want you to consider this anew for the first time pie or cake go ahead Ramon Ramon that's that's the that's the part where when I, when I say go ahead Ramon at that moment boom and it's tight there's no extra audio to be cut down it just goes right into boom go ahead Ramon boom okay let's talk about something besides cake pie that's like liquid cake isn't it pie can't compete with cake put candles in the cake it's a birthday cake put candles in a pie someone's drunk in the kitchen go check on grandma pie can't compete yeah Never hear about a hot chick jumping out of a pie. It's too messy. I'm here. Go take a shower. Cake. There's so many types of cake, too. There's rum cake, which makes sense, you know, because we've all been eating cake and thought, you know what, this needs booze. Shot of liquor. I don't have time to eat and drink. I only got two hands, buddy, and one of them's holding a cigarette. Meet me halfway, will ya? There's funnel cake, which is essentially a giant french fry covered in sugar. They're serving that at the IHOP now. It's a weird name for that place. I've never left there feeling like hopping. Should be called I Barely Move. I need a wheelchair. Hey, buddy, I like the IHOP. If you don't like it, you don't have to go there. I think the most disappointing cake has to be fruit cake. You know? You'd think that would be better. It doesn't add up. Fruit, good. Cake, great. Fruit cake, nasty crap. <laughs> have you tried fruit cake? I don't even think that's fruit in there. You're like, mm-hmm. what is that, a Skittle? So where's the seat here? What's this, a treasure map? What is the recipe of fruitcake? Anything but fruit? It's like the baker was just clearing off the counter. Put all this crap in there. 
Nobody eats this stuff. They just mail it to relatives. Big holiday tradition, fruitcake. So after a mother's love turned in her son, her 12-year-old son, uh, when she saw him on the surveillance camera, we want to know what your mother's love ever did. You know, a friend of mine was caught with uh, 660 pounds of weed and was sentenced to two years in prison. Had a pretty good weed business going with a, uh, he had a buddy named Tuna and a, a hairdresser. And so he decided to skip bail because his girlfriend had cancer. He goes to visit his, his parents one last time and his mom calls the feds. So he's drinking some whiskey with his, with his pops and the Popo comes rushing in and hauls him in. His mom says, well, it's for your own good. He ended up going to jail and learning how to deal cocaine. So I guess it was a win-win overall. To the phone lines we go. Now, here's the deal. When I go to you, you're going to hear a, and then it's going to stop. At that moment, I can hear you. Trust that I can hear you. So I don't have to do every call going, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. All right, so caller, you're up. It's Fight a lightning round. Lightning. Caller, tell me about that time of a parent's love in your life. Go. Uh, when I was about 12 years old, I had stayed the night at my buddy's house. Uh, there were some friends in the, in the neighborhood, well, acquaintances, that we didn't really like so much. So we had snuck out of our house, or their house, and uh, egged their house. Um, well... Egg, toilet paper, the whole works. Well, it came back to fight to my dad, who found out that uh, we were the ones that had done it. So he went and got me from my, my buddy's house from staying the night, walked me over to that house that I had egged the night before. He knew I'd done it. I knew I'd done it. I actually fessed up to it. And he told me I was going to mow the grass, cut the grass, wash all the cars, regardless if they were there the night of the egging or not. And then read a handwritten letter to apologize to the family at dinner. The worst part about it is when we went to the door for me to apologize, the man who opened the door actually went to high school with my dad. Oh. So that was insult to injury. Yeah. Oh, thanks for the call. Next caller. You are up, caller. If you can hear me, go ahead. Yes. Could you? Uh, uh, yeah. I, I wanted to tell us, add a little humor to an otherwise, uh, otherwise serious subject. Uh, some years ago, uh, I happened to be the, at that time the chairman of the board of the 100 Club, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine. His 12-year-old and, and, and two of his friends had gone down to a corner convenience store in August. With all had their overcoats on, they rode their bikes down there and stole a Playboy magazine. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
If you're in need of a property insurance partner to help your business remain resilient, FM Global is the perfect choice. We employ science, data, and research to help assist you in making informed risk mitigation decisions. We will collaborate with you to identify and reduce risks linked to natural disasters while providing solutions that promote a more sustainable future. Let's prepare to prosper. Hold on, caller. Wait, wait, wait with me right there. You're going to be my first call coming up straight out of the break. Sorry. Come on. You too. Ah, the stories of a parent's love. The time you got in trouble and they dragged you back to school. This isn't exactly that case because he didn't get in trouble, but another one of my friends, when he was little growing up at school, the school told his mom he had a low IQ. They wanted to put him in a special school. He had to wear leg braces. It was awful. The kids picked on him. Anyway, the principal said he had to go off to a special school. His dad had died years ago, so his mom, a single mom, had to sleep with the principal. And he was allowed to stay in regular school. And Later on, he was running, and his leg braces fell off. So he was running from some bullies. And Anyway, he ended up getting to play football for Bear Bryant at Alabama, and things worked out. I hadn't talked to him in a while, but he owns a uh, a shrimping company now. Yep. All right. It's a lightning round. 713-212-5874. 713-212-5874. Oh, Glenn. Yes, Glenn. Glenn, you're up. I don't have a call list because Ramon won't make one for me, but Glenn, I got your name. Glenn, you're up, Glenn. You're talking to Fred, are you? No. Is it Fred? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fred. Go ahead. Uh, I, I just had. I just want to add a little humor to an otherwise serious conversation about these children. Um, years ago, uh, I happened to be chairman of the board of an organization called the One Hundred Club, and uh, I got a call one day from a friend of mine who said that his twelve-year-old. I don't know what it is about twelve. But we all seem to get in trouble the first time at twelve. But anyway, his 12-year-old and two other 12-year-olds in the neighborhood, it was August. They put on their overcoats and went down to a, to a, to a convenience store on the corner and stole a Playboy magazine. Well, they, they, they got home, and, uh, and, and his mother called him, and, um, and he called, his friend called me and asked me if I had any suggestions on what to do. He said, you know, I've got a... I've got to do something about this. Well, there, there was a police officer on the force then. Uh, he was a black cop, and he was about six foot six, and he was a very imposing-looking figure. And, and when he put his uniform on and his gun and his silver badge and all that stuff, he'd scare me and anybody did. 
So I called him, and he said, I know what to do for you. I'll take care of it. So he, he, he goes to the house, and he calls the mother and, and he tells, gets her in on it. He goes to the house, and he said, I want to talk to Mikey. Knocks on the door, bam, bam, bam. I want to talk to Mikey. Well, mother said, okay, hold on a minute. Mikey, come to the front door. Police officer out here wants to talk to you. Well, Mikey came, <clears throat> came to the front, and he was obviously scared to death, when he, particularly when he saw this six-foot-six cop. And police officer identified himself as Sergeant Jones. Um, uh, he was a, a sergeant, a Sergeant Jones with the Houston Police Department Magazine and Theft Division. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, that and Mikey it jumps up and says, "I didn't take it. I didn't take it. The other boy took it." Well, <laughs> the, the upshot was three daddies and three sons all went back down to the to the convenience store to, to return the magazine. And the, when they walked to the door, the the clerk says, "I've been waiting for you." <laughs> and the clerk said, "They said, well, do you know what's went on?" He said, "Of course I did. When they come in here in August with overcoats on, I knew exactly what they were up to." <laughs> so anyway, that was a real. It, it ended up okay. There you go. Thanks for the call. You know, the days of using a police officer to scare a kid. Uh, you know, that was done when I was a kid. I, I, I wonder if it still is today. It should be. It ought to be. Caller, you're up. Next caller. Go ahead. Yeah. Hey, uh, so I got a good one. Uh, whenever I was younger, uh, about 16 years old, I was uh, smoking weed with one of my friends because that's what everybody does when they're younger. And uh, uh, we, every time we were in trouble, my friend's mom or my mom would call each other and tell each other what we did. Well, one day I'm at the mall and I get a call and I'm asked, what the hell did you do with my son? I'm, I actually haven't been hanging out with your son today. And I get called over and she had found him butt naked on the couch eating Cheetos all over his face and a bunch of moonflower seeds. And they made me babysit him in the hospital while he was going through detoxing and made me understand that that's exactly what happens when you get into drugs that you go from one thing to the next. And <laughs> it, it, it was the worst thing ever for two straight. He was going through all kinds of crazy fits. And the only time he was quiet was when a, a uh, Girls Gone Wild video came up on the TV screen in there. And <laughs> it was the worst experience ever. He's ripping IVs out of himself and everything else. And they made me feel responsible for something I wasn't there for. Next caller, you are up on the lightning round. Something your parents did out of love, tough love when you got in trouble, or something you as a parent did. Caller, go. This has to do with my brother, something he did. He was about eight years old. I was a couple of years younger. Uh, it was back in the 50s. My family went to a department store, my parents, my little sister, my brother and I, and on the way home, um, we didn't know uh, when we got into the driveway and stopped the car, there was a toy uh, station wagon that rolled under the seat right at my dad's feet. And my brother had stolen it from the, the store. I remember my parents looking at each other and then my dad uh, having to take it back to the store and how embarrassed he was that he had to tell the man, you know, that my son stole this. And uh, I was afraid that... Uh, 
while my dad was gone that police might come and take my brother, but uh, I'm pretty sure he got a good spanking that night and talking to, and and uh, it's just something stuck in my memory about. You think Ward was a little hard on the beef? Huh? This old uh, leave it to be a reference. Thank you for your call. A friend of mine who is uh, now a judge, it's a good thing this didn't end up on his record. It would have prevented his uh, judicial um, career. He writes, when I was six years old at the grocery store, I popped a butterscotch candy in my mouth. When my mother figured out what I'd done, she marched me back to the store manager, made me apologize, and made me pay him a penny. I never forgot that one penny lesson. Ramon, that's kind of that's kind of like uh, Mike Royko quality. Norman Rockwell asked a one penny lesson. Can't, it was only a penny. It was a while. It was a buzz before you were born, Ramon. How long has it been since you had a butterscotch? Butterscotch. You remember those little those little chocolate? Uh, it wasn't C's. What was the brand? It was a little caramel. It was in a square. You could never get it out of it. But once you did, it was so good. A real light cream chocolate. You know what I'm talking about? Real. They'd have them at the grocery store. Was it? Wasn't Brax? Who made it? But butterscotch. I hadn't had butterscotch in. I can't in decades. It's that time. Time, time, time. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. Let's go to clip number 21, please, Ramon. Clip number 21. It is an ad wherein um, Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart, cell phone carrier, T-Mobile. Isn't T-Mobile fantastic, Snoop? Unlimited data, taxes and fees included. It's everything. Might even say it's all that in a bag of... Purple cushy throw pillows? No, I was thinking. Herb roasted lamb chops? No, a bag of... Greenery. For your topiary garden? Nah. Hot? Mm-mm. Cannabis? Uh, maybe. Smartphone sweaters? It keeps your unlimited data cozy. I like that. <laughs> it's all that and more. T-Mobile One. All unlimited. Now with taxes and fees included. Well, the same rapper Snoop Dogg who stars in a T-Mobile commercial, has a new music video out. I've not seen it, but it's been badly written about, and it's called Bad, Bad, Not Good. In the music video, uh, I've seen photos where Snoop Dogg I guess, you know, takes many forms, but we have generally had the rule in this country, you know, the service, if you're threatening to take a visit to your house, and I think sometimes those are over the top, um, we're pretty protective president, no matter what the party, and we should be, and jokes about killing the president, 
whether it be Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, George W. Gerald, you name it. Uh, you know, th that's a disturbing thing. That is something that we tend not to encourage. You know, I'm that believes that you should be able to burn the flag. That's what I is for, is the ability to burn it, knowing good and well that in doing so, you're doing so for the purpose of angering other people because of what that flag means to them. And it must have some meaning to you, or you would, wouldn't bother to go out of your way to find a flag. You could just burn a piece of paper, the nearest newspaper. I also believe if I'm sitting on a jury and you go walking up to some guy who just stepped foot back in this country from Afghanistan and you I'm going to say that you, he did less damage to you than you intended to him. I'm a believer Westboro Baptist Church would be put out of business if our criminal justice system and our tort system, our civil law system, would allow people to deal with provocation in this manner. I think that you should expect that if someone walks up to an individual and calls his mother a bad name, that he's going to knock the guy out. I, I think that those are things reasonably to be expected. You should be allowed With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That sort of thing. Look, you know, I, I'm not for taking money out of anybody's pocket. I think the boycotts are overblown. I think they're all too often. I think that too many companies live in fear of what might offend somebody who's probably not their customer somewhere down the road anyway. And frankly, we wouldn't be on the radio if there weren't 70 companies in Houston and dozens of companies in other markets who say, uh, and it, is, it isn't me. It isn't that I'm so wonderful and they want to be associated with me. It's you. Uh, the one thing we've been able to do, which is our mark in radio, is to assemble an audience of people who are honest, trustworthy, um, decent, honorable. And I have had every time a new company comes on, never, first of all, it's the volume of calls because you support our sponsors when you hear me talk about them. But it's the type of people. No, I'm not peaking the level, Ramon. Uh, let's get through this segment and, and we'll redo it. But I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything special. So, um, but it's the type of people that you are. The kind of people, you know, anybody that's ever waited tables knows that if there, there are the kinds of people who will come into a restaurant and they start complaining from the minute they sit down and they're out to make it miserable for the waiter and they'll eat three-quarters of a meal and send it back because the meal was awful, and they, but they want another one. 
because that one's so bad. And our listeners are exactly the opposite. Our listeners are the kind of people who they will say they're so honorable. They tell their neighbors about it. They, we, we've enjoyed getting to know them. They make it uh, so much fun. And so, um, so I hesitate to criticize the fact that someone is T-Mobile spokesman or to criticize a song that, frankly, I'm never going to listen to. I'm not going to listen to uh, uh, Snoop Dogg's song. I do like Gin and Juice. I will tell you, I, I think Gin and Juice is, uh, I don't know, it, it's catchy. I like Shiny, Re- or I like the Gourds remake of Gin and Juice. I think that Snoop Dogg has, um, in my opinion, I, I'm not a consumer, but I think that he does have talent. I, I can see that. And he's got a stick, and he's made a lot of money at it. And I, I'm a believer. Just as people who have a problem with my radio show, I say, don't listen you won't be offended if you don't listen. And I kind of feel the same way about what Snoop Dogg does. But I also feel that all of us have to have a certain point where we step back and go, all right, what do you do to provoke and to shock? All right. Now, did that go too far? And I wouldn't want someone doing that to Barack Obama. I would not want a clown figure made of Barack Obama and an artist shooting it. I don't think you have to have laws against that. I don't think the Secret Service has to visit. But I do think that you have to recognize your role as a public figure and how the things you say and do can be misinterpreted. And, you know, if I were Snoop Dogg, I'd have trouble sleeping at night knowing what some idiot might possibly uh, do with a video like that, and I- I'll leave it at that. I-, I, I don't, I don't think there needs to be a boycott or whatever else. My suspicion is that T-Mobile's probably not going to want to be associated with something that is going to get blowback like that. I remember the Houston Police Department, uh, the Houston Police Officers Union, led a charge of police officers years ago when. Which is the one that's in, uh, which is the one, is it Ice-T that sang the cop killer song, Ramon? But when, when they got every police officer in the country to reach out to the board of the parent company, of, it might have been Disney, um, they yanked that song. Because there, there, there's art, but singing about killing cops? Mm, Michael Berry no. Show. Michael Talking about so much I want to do and tonight I wanna lay it at your feet Cause girl I was 
That's a good chorus. Can we hear that chorus again, Ramon? In order to get kind of a reset, we're thinking of um, renaming the Michael Berry Show to that show with Ramon Robles. This will be our new theme song. Tell me what you think. Clip number one, go. an idea we don't have to do it just an idea uh, i got an email from jamie copulus ramon do you think j-a-m-i-e is a man or a woman i bet it's a dude no i-e is often uh i don't know see this is one of those androgynous names that you don't know See, that's Jamie Copulus, J-A-M-I-E, Copulus. Let's see. You know, you normally look for some sort of a context. <clears throat> so I don't know if this is a nice dude or dudette. But anyway, so this individual sent me an email, which is a media advisory, press release. He, he is doing this <clears throat> individually and not... Uh, as Channel 13, although I 
don't think Channel 13 would mind, but um, this individual has uh, taken on the duty of promoting this to the public. The two officers, a um, couple weeks back, eighth, so how, two weeks ago, <clears throat> yeah, almost exactly two weeks ago, um, who were responding to the situation. The two guys were breaking into houses. Remember, they, they broke into Stephanie, one of our bartenders, Redneck Country Club. Her house was one of the houses they busted into. Anyway, um, they're having a benefit for the HPD officers, uh, Munoz and uh, Cortez. Cortez is currently paralyzed from the waist down, and that was kind of the uh, prognosis early on, which was why they didn't release his status. Um, Officer Munoz is in a cast, but it's believed, uh, I'm told, that he's going to make a, a full and complete recovery. Anyway, there is a benefit for them at the Redneck Country Club. It's not a it's Redneck Country Club. It's a terrible idea, terrible idea. But it is at Concert Pub North, and I hope you all will support it, which is 2470 Cypress Parkway. Uh, benefit shot in the line of funds raised to assist officers Munoz and Cortez with medical bills and long-term recovery, police chief, assistant chief, city council members, and community members to attend, uh, they're expecting over a thousand people. Live music, barbecue plates for ten bucks, live and silent auctions, and more. Saturday, April eighth, from eleven a.m. to five p.m. And a thanks to the Thin Blue Line Law Enforcement Motorcycle Club. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find a place that you can. Uh, by the way, it says the. I never heard of these guys, but it sounds like a good group. Thin Blue Line Law Enforcement Motorcycle Club uh, consists of members who are active duty or retired law enforcement officers from a variety of agencies and jurisdictions, along with our civilian friends who support us in our profession. Together, we share the love of American-made motorcycles, the wind in our faces, and the brotherhood of like-minded motorcyclists. Ramon, you can't be riding some uh, Honda if you're going to be in this group, okay? At the, the Can-Ams, uh, I don't know where the Can-Ams are made. Uh, check that, if you would. Harley makes a trike, which I've known several people to start riding those trikes, uh, one of whom had both shoulders scoped, uh, neck surgery, and both hips replaced in the last two years and just couldn't lift the bike. It, it wasn't comfortable anymore. Made the decision to go to one of the trikes and never been happier. Um but I don't know where those Can-Ams are. I'm told those are pretty cool. I've never driven one, but I'm told those are pretty cool. Anyway, as a, find out, if you would, Ramon, where those are made. As a fraternal organization, we strive to support one another, law enforcement professionals, and our community. Our colors clearly identify our affiliation. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are bound by our oath of office and law enforcement. And law enforcement's code of ethics. Our members reflect a positive image for our profession. 
We are the Fed Blue Law Enforcement Motor Club. All right on. I'll uh, see if I can't find. Oh, here's a post. I'll put this post up. Which, by the way, um, we get a lot of requests from people, and they get very, very angry uh, when people want to have a person organization come on the show. And let me just say this. It'll never help because people get it in there. Hey, we want to have so-and-so come on. We're going to talk about it longer than I can just state what it is you're doing and move on to the next thing. So I almost never want a guest from an organization. I ask them how they're doing. They tell me how they're doing. And they tell me. You can just send me the details, and if I can get it out there, I will. So not as we know it. can't ride to Can-Am. It's not made in America. It's Canadian. It's made by BRP Corporation. Can't be in that motorcycle club riding that. Uh, bicycles, no, you can't keep up because they're riding at high rates of speed. owned by the BRG Corporation. If we're going to do a tandem thing with somebody sitting on the sidecar and somebody riding... You're going to be sitting on the sidecar. You have to have a scarf, though. You have to have a scarf and riding glasses. Yeah, yeah, and goggles and a little helmet, the leather jacket. That's the look. Those things always tilted over, though, remember? Well, you think if you're on the bike, you think, oh, good point. You know what? So remember we told you the story about the Avon clan from Pakistan? They were running all sorts of scams, medical billing scams, uh, a fake car dealership. Their mother now claims she was being held hostage. But the most interesting and frightening part of the whole story was that they worked for high-ranking House Democrats and they had access to computer systems um, with state secrets on them. Well, there's a new update. Did you know that they weren't subjected to the same security protocols 
that other House IT staffers had to obey. It seems that Imran, one of the Avon brothers, bullied the House IT department, new details coming out, and he and his brothers were granted high-level access with no tracking of their movements or activity. Since there was no way to create a paper trail, he managed to get his brothers and a sister-in-law or two put on the payroll. And the House Democrats paid the Klan Awan, or Avon, $4 million over six years. He had control of the computer system. That's a lot of money. Quote, technology employees who work for members must initially get authority from HIR, a component of the House's chief administrative officer, which maintains campus-wide technology systems. Quote, there were some things like access to the House email system that were totally controlled by the technicians at HIR. In order for certain permissions to be granted, a form was required to ensure that there was a paper trail for the requested changes. Imran was constantly complaining that he had to go through this process and trying to get people to process his access requests without the proper forms. Some of the permissions he wanted would give him total access to the congressional members' stuff, end quote. According to managers at HIR, the House Information Resources, everyone is tracked via keystroke. However, the Avon clan were not subjected to that kind of oversight. They had access to everything, everything. They could download things to a private server or they could copy things off to a thumb drive, and no one would ever know what happened. So let's review. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the former head of the DNC, hires a group of Pakistani con men. We know they're con men outside of their work for Congress to work on her IT needs. None of those family members, the four family members that would go to work for the House or get paid by the House, we don't know that they did any work, are ever subjected to the same rules that the regular House IT staffers are. So they can go tiptoeing through Debbie's tulips, and nobody is the wiser. Uh, you know, I have a sneaking suspicion that given the fact that the Avon clan loves money and is willing to hold someone hostage, if their mother is to be believed, or to uh, fake Medicare payments, or to sell cars that are not their own, for which they've come under all sorts of governmental investigation. People uh, with this kind of desire for money, you think they might have sold the Wiki sold to WikiLeaks or the Russians or both the secrets of the DNC that were leaked last year? You think there's a chance, considering that? People are saying, that the intelligence experts are saying this had to be an inside job. What are the chances that this Pakistani family that's running game on everything else, conning everything else, running frauds, and had access to the DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz's uh, email accounts, what are the chances that they're the ones who sold that information? Just a thought. If you were 
starting to look for what kind of people would be a suspect at a moment like this. Now, we'll leave aside for a moment that several high-ranking congressional Democrats allowed absolute con men into their ranks. Wouldn't it be interesting if one of these con men got special access and went around the system by claiming that he was being picked on? No, that wouldn't happen. But what did happen and is now confirmed is that they had access to House intelligence reports. They had access to the DNC. They had access to all sorts of state secrets. And they didn't have security clearance. And they were getting paid millions of dollars. And we know that some of them weren't showing up to work. Nah, probably didn't happen. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract you. Nickelback to start your day today. If you want to comment on that Nickelback song, the phone number is 713-212-5874. Actor Michael Caine is 84. Composer-conductor Quincy Jones is 84. Michael Martin Murphy is 71. Comedian Billy Crystal is 71. Radio personality Rick Dees is 66. Actor Adrian Zamed is 63. Singer-keyboardist Taylor Hansen of Hansen is 34. On this day in 1972, California Governor Ronald Reagan pardons Merle Haggard for a 1957 attempted robbery that landed the singer in prison. Oh, you can bring that up, Ramon. Go ahead on. He was in Houston at the time. He was in Memphis at the time? Wasn't he in Houston at some point? Memphis to L.A. Who was the one that was in Houston that went national? Not Rick Dees. No. Uh, he had a... No, not Glenn Beck. He wasn't. Who, who was? Uh, was a guy? No, it was a top forty. It was a top forty DJ. Was in Houston at one point. Nineteen seventy-six. 
It was a 1960s novelty dance song called The Duck. According to Rick Dees, it took one day to write the song, but three months to convince anyone to perform it. Yeah, the guy who got, who did the duck voice got 50 bucks and was not Clarence Nash, the original voice of Donald Duck in the Walt Disney cartoons. Even though on several occasions the Disney company maintained that Nash never contributed to the song. A, the voice of the duck was performed by Ken Pruitt, an acquaintance of these, as stated on the label. For the live tour, the duck vocals were handled by Michael Chesney, another quaint acquaintance of these. That had to be kind of one of those funny moments where they're like, look, we got to take this out on tour. We can book you for five grand a night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We can't turn down that kind of money. 1976, that's a lot of money. Right. So do you do anything other than Disco Duck? Because we can get people to show up for that. Uh... Well, no, um, no, I, we got Disco Duck, though. Okay, well, maybe we'll have you DJ a set, and we'll do uh, some Disco Duck. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, hey, thanks to the guys yesterday. I'll, let me get this email up, but uh, one of our favorite organizations... Uh, raised a bunch of money yesterday at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo for Camp Hope. And thank you to, I believe it was KHOU, for the coverage last night. The whole point being the more veterans are exposed to the fact that there is peer-to-peer counseling at Camp Hope run by the uh, PTSD Foundation of America, the better off we all are because uh, some good can be done there, some lives can be saved. And that is really what's important. An Oregon man out on parole steals a street sweeper and leads the popo on a chase with it. He failed to make a clean getaway. Ramon, I need you to have a rim shot ready. If it's, if we're going to be called that guy and the Ramon Robles show, you're going to have to... Hey, Ramon, can I get some... Uh, can I get some uh, yakety yak here? Because this has a, a certain uh, uh, a certain need for a good theme song. I'll wait. Oregon man out on parole steals street sweeper and leads the popo on a chase with it. He failed to make a clean getaway. Still no rim shot. Early Sunday morning. Workers were cleaning the parking lot of a grocery store in Hillsboro, a suburb of Portlandia, about 30 minutes out. Uh, in fact, the tractor dealer in Hillsboro was one of our sponsors. One worker left the Isuzu NPR street sweeper running 
as he used a handheld blower to clean an area and irritate the neighbors with the loud noise. 33-year-old Tyler Haywood hopped in and took off with it. Popo spotted the street sweeper and attempted to pull Haywood over, but he refused to stop. A chase ensued that Popo said reached speeds ranging from 30 to 65 miles an hour. Wow, that's impressive. Who knew that street sweepers could go 65? Spike strips were eventually deployed to end the chase. Hagwood was arrested and faces charges of unauthorized use of a motor vehicle, unlawful entry into a motor vehicle, possession of a stolen vehicle, attempt to elude police, reckless driving, and parole violation. Because, oh, by the way, he was out on parole. But, Ramon, I don't know if I told you. He stole the street sweeper, but he failed to make a clean getaway. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Next story. We've moved on, Ramon. She's probably a huge fan of that scene in Pulp Fiction where Butch rescues... Okay. Where Butch rescues Marcellus. A Connecticut woman charged after attacking her boyfriend with a samurai sword. She slashed off his... I'm sorry. She slashed him on the back and arms. He will not be enjoying Steak and BJ Day, that's for sure. The victim told investigators that just before midnight Saturday, he got into an argument with his girlfriend, 51-year-old Juanita Bentley, at their apartment. Bentley told the man to leave. When he refused, he says she, quote, removed the decorative samurai-type sword from a wall and cut him across his back and arms. Dude, you knew you had a crazy one. Why are you going to hang a sword on the wall? Medics took the man to the hospital for treatment. Investigators say the woman tried to clean the apartment to conceal evidence of the attack. Oof. It's that time. time. Lock and load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. We continue the ongoing discussion of Obamacare in the bill that Paul Ryan brought out of the House, sort of a first draft. It is uh, the point at which we begin the conversation. And you will hear from some people that we just need to pass that so that we can put this issue to bed and move on. I think that's a dangerous idea. I do think there needs to be a success on dismantling Obamacare because that was the mandate. And I do think that that success may require at some point us deciding what's most important and least important and being willing to give more on the least important. But I don't think that's how you start the negotiation. That troubles me because I find that most negotiations end up 
further away from where you wanted to be than where you started if where you started was only your side's opening volley. Well, the Congressional Budget Office has scored the bill. Now, um, you know, you could argue that the, the Congressional Budget Office is not very accurate. The Weekly Standard notes, CBO's track record on Obamacare shows they've been terribly far off, missing enroll, enrollment uh, projections by 48% or $14 million. The Weekly Standard's Jeffrey Anderson writes, quote, Seven years ago this month, the Democrats rammed President Obama's namesake through the House of Representatives without a single Republican vote and with only three Democratic votes to spare. At the time, the CBO said that in 2017, 23 million people would be enrolled in insurance that they acquired through Obamacare's government-run exchanges. Well, here we are in 2017, and the actual tally is only 9.2 million. They projected 23 million. The actual tally is only 9 million. So the CBO missed its projection by some 14 million people and a whopping 48%. That's not even close enough for government work. The CBO tends to assume that if the federal government isn't compelling someone to do something, it won't happen. So if employers aren't mandated to offer insurance, they won't. If Americans aren't mandated to buy insurance, they won't. He's saying that that's the mentality of all this. To be sure, the Congressional Budget Office does grant that some private employers and some private citizens actually exercise free will. Nevertheless, the CBO plainly believes in and is a big part of big government. Evidence of this is found in the fact that the CBO generally omits a huge category in its Obamacare scoring, its effect on federal spending. It lists Obamacare's gross cost of coverage provisions But that counts tax breaks and federal spending as being one and the same. Maybe that's just as well since the CBO falsely scores Obamacare's direct outlays to insurance companies as tax credits. And hence, when the person getting the insurance is someone who actually pays income tax, as tax cuts, hiding some $104 billion in federal spending in the process. The fact that the CBO generally doesn't offer a clear tally for federal spending speaks volumes. End quote. Well, well, first, let's go to clip number 19, um, Paul Ryan's comments on the CBO report. Clip number 19, go. Well, actually, I think if you read this entire report, I'm pretty encouraged by it, and it actually exceeded my expectations. Brett, uh, Tom Price, and Mick Mulvaney there mentioned um, the estimates before were that more of uh, 25 million people would be on Obamacare today, less than half that are. But look at what they said, the reason why they think this uninsured would happen. We're saying the government's not going to force people to buy something they don't want to buy. And if we end an Obamacare mandate that says you must buy this government one-size-fits-all plan, guess what? People aren't going to buy that. So, of course, they're going to suggest that if we're not going to make something people make people do something they don't want to do, they're not going to do it. That's really what's behind this. What I'm encouraged is once our reforms kick in, what the CBO is telling us is it's going to lower premiums. It will lower premiums 10%. It stabilizes the market. 
It's a $1.2 trillion spending cut, an $883 billion tax cut, and $337 billion in deficit reduction. So, of course, the CBO is going to say, if you're not going to force people to buy something they don't want to buy, they won't buy it. But at the same time, they're saying our reforms will kick in and lower premiums and make health care therefore more accessible. And by the way, Brett, I just want to say one more thing, then I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking. This is just part one of a three-part plan, and that's why I'm excited. Just this, they say, lowers premiums, stabilizes the market, gives people more choice and freedom. Part two is Tom Price at HHS brings more choice and competition, lets the states open up markets, which will lower prices even more. In part three are the other bills that we will be passing, interstate shopping across state lines, association health care plans to let people bulk buy insurance nationwide, medical liability reform. Those will drop premiums even further and make health care even more accessible than what CBO is encouraging in an encouraging way saying as well. Ramon, if you would have clip number 17 ready, Donald Trump yesterday, President Trump yesterday, making the statement, and he's right, that the media is leading people to believe that Obamacare is working. This thing's going along great. Why would the Republicans want to mess with it? There is a massive mandate. Polls have shown it. Business owners have shown it. Users have shown it. Um, Doctors have shown it. There is a massive mandate to repeal Obamacare. The fix, we can argue over, but there is a massive mandate. Clip number 17, go. The press is making Obamacare look so good all of a sudden. I'm watching the news. Looks so good. They're showing these reports about this one gets so much and this one gets so much. First of all, it covers very few people, and it's imploding. And 17 will be the worst year. And I said it once, I'll say it again, because Obama's gone. You know, he... Things are going to be very bad this year for the people with Obamacare. They're going to have tremendous increases. And the Republicans, frankly, are putting themselves in a very bad position. I tell this to Tom Price all the time by repealing Obamacare because people aren't going to see the truly devastating effects of Obamacare. They're not going to see the devastation in 17 and 18 and 19. It'll be gone by then. It'll, whether we do it or not, it'll be imploded off the map. So the press is making it look so wonderful. So that if we end it, everyone's going to say, oh, remember how great Obamacare used to be. Remember how wonderful it used to be. It was so great. It's a little bit like President Obama. When he left, people liked him. When he was here, people didn't like him so much. That's the way life goes. That's human nature. At the core of what he's saying there is an absolute truth, and it's an unfortunate reality, and that is that if Obamacare was allowed to finish out with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's run. It would be a tragedy. It would hurt a lot of people. And everyone would recognize we have to repeal it. But the responsible thing to do is to fix it now and let them say it would have been great.
Malone throwing some Freddie Fender at us. Kings ever covered anything that they didn't just nail? Honestly. We need to have the Gypsy Kings at the Redneck Country Club. That'd be fun. At Papacito's when I was a waiter there, they just put Gypsy Kings' greatest hits on and just let it loop. You can overdo. You can overdo anything. Just so you know, because I speak Spanish, Ramon. This is Hotel California in Spanish. They're just translating. Oh, California in English, it's the same thing. It's a cognate. It, it's the same. Yeah, it's like chocolate. You just pronounce it differently. Thanks for asking. Remember a couple years ago? You can keep that going if you like, because that's a good tune. Remember a couple years ago when news of the Greek riots was all the rage? The Greeks voted in a socialist who told the European Union to stuff it. And then they had to go back to the European Union to beg for help because the Greeks had overborrowed, They were over-leveraged. It's always a bad sign, taking too much debt. Their debt load was way more than they could sustain as a nation, individually, as companies. And the Germans were all too willing to keep giving them debts. But how were you ever going to collect? Well, then the Syrian, the Syrian refugee crisis pushed Greece off the front page. Greece didn't solve their problems. In fact, if you want a good discussion of the long-term systemic problems in the Greek economy with borrowing, particularly from the Germans, Michael Lewis uh, has a book called, oh, Ramon, what's the thing you throw in a, a boomerang? Uh, Michael Lewis has a song, has a, a book called Boomerang, and he has a chapter in there where he... Um, where he writes about the German obsession with defecation and somehow ties that into their relationship with the Greeks. It's weird, um, but it's Michael Lewis, so it works. Anyway, the Greek borrowing problem is a long-term systemic problem, and it's gotten so bad, all of us know the person who takes out a credit card to pay off a credit card. That's what happened. Well, the government's still in trouble. And riots are a daily thing because they've imposed what the Europeans call austerity measures, which is basically cutbacks in the government. And I find that whether it's Chicago, Detroit, Houston, or Greece, people have to believe that things are really awful before you can cut back on the welfare state. They can't say, well, let's just, let's just plan better. No, it has to be that they're so awful that we'll, sat we'll be satisfied with this. Now... 
farmers armed with shepherd's crooks are going after the Athens police. More than 1,100 stock breeders and farmers arrived on overnight ferries in the early hours last Wednesday to protest against increases in tax and Social Security contributions demanded by the creditors keeping Greece afloat. And anytime you hear Greek creditor, you can insert Germans. Greek farmers enjoy a particularly privileged status in Greece. They are typically exempt from taxes. And now they've grown accustomed to that. They don't want to pay. The government is seeking to complete bailout talks over controversial income and spending cuts with visiting inspectors representing Greece's international creditors. Quote, the country is due to make debt payments of 7 billion euros, which is 6 billion pounds, in July and faces the prospect of default if the bailout review is not completed. So Greece owes a 7 billion dollar euro debt. I'm sorry, a 7 billion euro debt and they are turning to the farmers to make them contribute what they consider their fair share. But the farmers don't see it that way. A spokesman for the farmers, Yanis Sorakas, said, quote, We have come to ensure the victory of farmers and to have results. We want to have them take back everything they have encumbered us with. To us, it seems like the powers that be have looted everything. End quote. That story coming from The Guardian. Just checking back in to let you know that that story never really went away. We just started focusing on the Syrian refugee problem. The New York Times tries to hit Jason Chaffetz with a story about parents who are constituents in his Utah district about them choosing between health insurance and a phone. You'll remember he said the other day that people spend five or six hundred bucks on an iPhone and don't buy health insurance, then they make bad decisions. We shouldn't build a system around that. And he's right. Well, the New York Times attempted to hit him and comes off looking silly. The story is by Jack Healy. Quote, as the health care debate thundered away in Washington, Representative Jason Chaffetz of Utah stirred up a social media squall the other day by suggesting that uninsured Americans should invest in their own health care rather than getting that new iPhone that they just love. Here in Mr. Chaffetz's solidly Republican district, one of those uninsured Americans watched the viral CNN interview on, what else, her cell phone. Not a new iPhone, though, but a, but a Samsung with a cracked screen, one that Sherry Hunter and her husband, Anthony, bought with their tax refunds two years ago. An iPhone and insurance are not the same thing at all, Miss Hunter, 32, said. If you need to be able to decide between an iPhone and health insurance, you need to look at why is that the choice. To Mr. Chaffetz's supporters, his comments sounded like a tough love defense of individual responsibility in the midst of a knockdown debate over the government's role in providing health care to Americans. To his critics, they sounded like a callous and obtuse dismissal of the hard choices that struggling families make every day, and one that echoed earlier racially noxious arguments over welfare queens and criticisms of programs that helped provide phone service to poor people.
How dare you, Jason Chaffetz? How dare you suggest that people in your district need to decide between a cell phone and health insurance? What kind of Habesian choice is that? Death or death. You can't survive without a new cell phone. And by the way, some of us aren't buying iPhones. Some of us are buying the new Samsung. Thank you very much. Because we have to have it to live. And we're out here making life choices. We have to choose between a new cell phone and health care. And what have we become, Greece? What kind of people are we? What kind of savages force their people to decide between a new cell phone? I haven't a new cell phone in six months. Not to mention an iPad. Who has to choose between that and health insurance? the point because I made it yesterday and if you want to hear it the opening few segments of the evening show yesterday I explain why 24 million Americans are not on, are not quote unquote losing their health insurance they are instead choosing their health insurance and the health insurance they're choosing is no health insurance I don't want to go all existential on you but choosing often means choosing not to do something. Nobody's being kicked out of the health insurance program. People are no longer required to buy insurance under the new, would no longer under the new bill be required to buy health insurance. And the estimate is that most of them wouldn't. When people choose not to buy that which they were required to buy before, they're not losing it, they're choosing it. They're choosing the absence of it. It's individual choice. The big divide between the left and the right. Now, a lot of people are Republicans and don't know why they are, and that's why we end up with big government on the right. But the intellectual, philosophical divide can be broken down to a very simple question. Should individuals be able to make decisions? Should adults be able to make decisions for themselves? Or should the state make decisions for individuals who are incapable? Now, we all recognize that there will be situations where an adult will be mentally disabled. Fine. We all understand that there will be individuals who will need to be uh, uh, hospitalized. For instance, fine. We all recognize that there are a few people who will fall through the cracks. But when you require a 22-year-old 
or if they've left, if they've flown the coop or are aged out, a 27-year-old, when you require him to buy health insurance, knowing good and well that the likelihood that he's going to use it is minimal, you are imposing a tax on that individual, using that money to fund a program that is supposed to provide insurance on the back end or subsidies for older people who require more. That is purely and simply a wealth transfer. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And it is wrong. It is not what we believe in. If you just want to put a tax on young people, call it a tax on young people. Don't call it health care for everybody. We have health care for everybody. It's called Medicaid. It's not the best health care. It's not the most efficient funding mechanism. But guess what? When you provide for individual choice, you sometimes do not maintain complete efficiency. If you want complete efficiency, you have to have a complete governmental control or an individual control that imposes things like death panels. And one of the issues, although it's not the biggest issues, that we have to grapple with, and it's okay to disagree, is what are you going to do about pre-existing conditions? There is the academic perspective, which is, well, why should everybody, somebody's going to have to pay for the extra cost of a person with a pre-existing condition. Somebody. It can either be the person with the pre-existing condition, or it can be the rest of us. But there's really not much room to wiggle in between. And if you say, well, the rest of us ought to pay for it because we feel bad. All right, that's fine. But we could make that argument on a number of other issues. And if that's what we're going to do, then let's recognize that's what we're going to do, and let's make sure that everybody is in agreement that they're paying more for something they're not going to get. Don't tell me that it's going to make their life better, because it's not. That's the academic perspective. The flip side of that is if you have somebody gravely ill in your family with Crohn's and colitis or an advanced stage of cancer, then your thought is, I don't really care where the money comes from. I just want to provide health care for my loved one, which is a perfectly selfish and perfectly rational perspective. It is completely rational to be selfish. That's economic theory 101. When James Carville taught Bill Clinton to go out in 1992 and campaign against George Herbert Walker Bush, the reality is that people were pretty happy with the way things were going. Over 90%, the highest approval rating ever registered, approved of George H.W. Bush after the Iraq invasion and victory. But Carville and Clinton was a great retail politician. He understood in the same way that Trump does. 
he understood that it doesn't matter what the media thinks. It doesn't matter what the professors or the politicians think. It doesn't even matter what the operatives and the activists think. Clinton had an ability that Trump has, that Reagan had, to understand what average people feel in their own homes, what scares them, what delights them, what motivates them. Not what they say they care about, but what they really care about. And where Clinton was brilliant, and this was Carvel's line, is it's the economy, stupid. But it wasn't just the economy. He would follow that up with what they called back pocket issues. And they told Americans, it is perfectly American, patriotic, to vote your back pocket. Vote for what's good for you. If you're in a union, you're going to make more money if Clinton comes in because he's going to empower the unions to drive the wages up. Now, it'll be bad for the consumers of the automobiles y'all are making, but don't never be worry about that. Vote your back pocket. And that's th this is the debate. Look, we don't have to demonize people for disagreeing, but we do have to recognize that people with severe pre-existing conditions are, are, are uh, recipients of money under these programs, and people who are completely healthy are donors into the program, and it's a wealth shift from the healthy to the, to the not healthy, to the sick, and from the young to the poor, to the old. Let's just be honest about that, and then we can have the discussion. Born Christopher George Latore Wallace, raised in Brooklyn, killed by an unknown assailant in a drive-by shooting in Los Angeles after a double-disc album, Life After Death, March 9, 1997. Mm, mm, mm. That's too bad. We miss Mr. Big. Matt, you're on the Michael Berry Show. Go ahead. Matt, you're up, bud. Hey, Michael. Hey, let me ask you something. You know, at the age of, at the, under the age of 40, right, you had a lot more, a lot less disposable income than you did over the age of 40, right? Because, I mean, when you're under 40, you got, you know, your college loans you got to pay off. You usually got like a... A, um, a house note you're having to pay, all that, right? So you have a lot less disposable income to work with, correct? 
Yeah, and 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 actuarial tables and policymakers and budget makers and social scientists will tell you that by and large wealth tends to be uh, backloaded. We tend to be right. we tend to have more wealth older uh, later in our lives than earlier in our lives. Yes. Right. Well, let me ask you this then: for health insurance, right? Wouldn't if we could get the health insurance rates right? To a price point, like that sweet spot point where we can get males, okay, under the age of 40 that are healthy, right, to buy insurance just for the peace of mind of having a health insurance, even though they they probably won't need it, to buy it anyway for the, the peace of mind of having it, don't you think more of them will buy it? Which is exactly what the the opposite of what Obamacare did. Like for example, if you can get somebody under the age of forty, right, health insurance for say under a hundred dollars a month, right, they will most likely more likely buy it than if it's say two hundred dollars a month. Because right. I'll spend a hundred dollars a month just for the peace of mind of having it, right. you know, because health insurance needs peace of mind, right? It means I don't, you know, I don't have to worry about having it. I mean, I buy my car insurance, right? I buy it because it's, you know, it's against the law not to have it, but I would still buy it, you know, just for the peace of mind that if I was to crash into somebody, I want you know, my insurance company to be able to pay for it. But right, I'm not going to spend $300 a month on auto insurance if I don't need it. You know, we're like same thing with health insurance. If they can get the price of health insurance to say under $100 a month for males under 40 that are, right. you know, that are healthy. Right. Matt, thank you for your call. Let me speak to that because – it's worth noting, first of all, um, what you're talking about are commendable individual choices. Um, by the way, for those of you new to the show, Matt has been calling the show um, for years. And the first time he called in, we talked, and he has obviously has a speech impediment. And we talked about that impediment and how he's dealt with that through the course of his life. I have to tell you, I find it, um, I find it, uh, at the minimum, impressive that he calls in, knowing that some people won't know um, that he has that impediment and they'll think it's what whatever else, and yet he calls in and he always has a useful point for the conversation and I can respect that to the point we don't we have to recognize that we either believe in security or liberty that that we can try to find a balance in the middle but we have to pick one or the other that we're going to lean toward and that many times those two things will be at odds we also have to recognize that we're going to choose between individual choices and efficient choices because individuals, if given the choice, won't always make the choice that we would like them to make. 
but let's look at Michelle Obama's uh, uh, anti-salt kick or the city of New York's anti-salt kick. We're not going to let uh, restaurants put salt on the table because we know you stupid idiots will put salt on everything, and we don't think you need it. And at some point you have to ask yourself a question. Who's going to make the decision as to whether you get salt on your table? Not you, not the government, the business owner. The business owner was the correct answer. The business owner should decide what's put on that table. And that business owner can, but is not required, to allow you the choice as to whether you put it on your burger and fries. And they also have the opportunity to decide whether to charge you for that option. I've been places in this country, it blows my mind, where they charge you to bring out chips. What the? You know you've left Texas. When you go to a Tex-Mex restaurant and they don't bring you chips to start your meal and you have to look on there and say, chips, I don't care if the chips are a dollar. If you are charging me for chips, I, it, it is so outside the realm. But that's what we recognize in choice is that some people are going to make stupid choices. Look, insurance is a business like everything else, and it's time we recognize that. Insurance is nothing more nor less than a business. You're hedging. It's a lottery. When you get right down to it, you're playing a lottery. And you can buy that ticket on the odd chance you may win, or in this case with insurance, you might lose. And you hope you won't lose, as opposed to the lottery where you hope, while it's rare that it'll happen, if it does happen, you win. Reverse is, uh, uh, insurance is really just a reverse lottery ticket. And that's what it comes down to. And some people decide, I'm not going to do that. And then their number is called and they don't win, or in this case, they lose. Somebody's going to have to pay for this, period. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.